start date 74408.3. All hail Philippa Giorgio Augustus Iaponis Centarius. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a kind of smart, kind of funny podcast about new Star Trek and beyond. I'm your Mirrorverse captain for the night, Mariah Gossett, and with me on the view screen we have Mike Moody Garcia and Mother of Dragons, Clyde Haynes. <laughs> Excellent. Mother of Dragons, Clyde Haynes. Well, I was just thinking about like every time she walked into a room, she had this long introduction. Mm-hmm. And oh, I wrote time, it all down. And I was right, just like, right. the only thing they're missing is Mother of Dragons. I was mm-hmm. like, it's the same thing. And the so unburned. She does, she does have Mother of the Fatherland, if that's yes. anything. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, so tonight we are yeah. streaming the podcast live on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, and Twitter to review and break down Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 9, Terra Firma Part 1. Uh, but before we get into it, Mike, can you let everyone know about how they can support this podcast? Sure. Uh, you can visit us at StarTrekPod.co. There you can subscribe to the pod on Apple, on Spotify, everywhere you get podcasts. I know we are doing a live stream Uh, of the pod on YouTube and other places every week, but we need you to download the audio version of the podcast too. That helps us out a lot. That helps us grow the pod if we can get people listening to the audio version. So StarTrekPod.co, download us on Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get podcasts. And if you are watching us live on Twitch, on Facebook, on YouTube, on wherever, and you want to participate We encourage you to do so. Get active in the chat. Talk to each other. But if you want to send us a question or comment that we can read live on the show, then all you got to do is uh, type capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod in the chat, and we will take a look and try and get to your comment or question by the end of the show. Also, Grant isn't with us tonight, or maybe he will be. We'll see. But he usually pimps our Patreon, so he's not here. And I'll let you know that you can also support us at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. There you can uh, join our Slack group. We have tons, tons of positive, friendly, smart, awesome Star Trek fans from all over the world in our Slack group. All you need to do is join us at patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Two bucks an episode. It's all it is. Never more than like six or eight bucks uh, a month. Uh, we have watch parties in there. We watch old Trek. Uh, what else do we do? You can listen to bonus episodes of the podcast, mm-hmm. bonus videos, lots of new content coming up there, especially during the break that we're going to have between shows coming up. Uh, we'll be doing more stuff there. So patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. Support the pod. Do it. All right. Let's jump through this adorable portal and (laughs) see what this chance might be. So Terra Firma Part 1, the teleplay, is by Alan McElroy, a story by Bo Young Kim and Erica LaPolt and Alan McElroy, directed by Omar Madha. Madha. Um, This is the one with a lot of door puns, riddles given by a dude in the snow with a bowler hat, which the rest of the Discovery crew deciphers a hundred-year-old distress call, and it's mostly the one with all of the smoky eye makeup that we can possibly take. Oh, love it. Mm-hmm. So good. Uh, so if you don't know, now you're going to know. This is the Star Trek Discovery pod. We don't give you hot takes. We give you hot freaks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Who wants to kick us off? 
Uh, I'll go. All right. I never go first, since I'm usually hosting, but I just finished watching this episode. Mariah, thank you so much for taking on hosting duties tonight. Uh, it's probably a better show than you do, but I like <laughs> to take it. Um, but yeah, I just finished watching this. I had such a busy day, and man, I had a lot of fun with this episode. I ended up enjoying it so much by the time it was over. Even though I did have some like some issues with it, it was kind of structurally weird. Like the first third or so of the episode was all the stuff in the in the prime universe was it felt like it was just setting up stuff that's happening in like other plots on the show this season, and then the rest was all mirror you stuff, so it was kind of like two episodes in one kind of oddly, but once we got to the mirror you, it's a completely different thing and 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 it really took off. We got Captain Killy. We got Giorgio confronting her evil, nasty side and her greatest trauma now that she's somewhat more enlightened by her time with the disco crew. That was really interesting. She's kind of on this journey. There was that line that she says here that I think was the major theme of this episode, or at least of Giorgio's arc. And she says, do not confuse growth with weakness. And that's her whole story summed up. She, she has to figure that out for herself. And I think that's what we're watching. We're watching that. Um, in, in the mirror you, we're seeing where she comes from. It's you can't show any weakness or you will be killed. And she's realizing that weakness, vulnerability, those can be gifts. Those can be uh, traits that are honorable and positive and can move somebody uh forward and i think this like extreme tame time space disease idea that they have with Giorgio is a great mechanism to like speed up her character development and get her where the show needs her to be so she can like fit in properly in this new star trek universe a lot smoother so i like that and i'm really like intrigued about what else we're gonna see in this in this mirror universe plot um this was a part one, and we are getting a part two, unlike the premiere. Um, but yeah, lots of cool mirror you inversions. We see Arium without her robot bits. And mm-hmm. uh, a shout out to my man Lorca. We got lots of Lorca call outs in this episode. Mirror Saru and Giorgio kind of teaming up um, in a really like cool emotional way. I enjoyed that. Some very... Interesting stuff, too, in the Prime U, Admiral Vance and Saru, some cool stuff there. We saw Cronenberg again, always a treat. And we'll discuss this later, but did we see a potential cue in this episode? Carl, that guy reading the newspaper in the middle hmm. of, the, of a light blizzard, he's maybe a cue, right? So that's exciting, too. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah, I, I got to say, I love this episode. Um, I'm not... I'm not ready to say it was one of my favorite episodes of the season, but it was just fun. And it felt like Trek, like traditional Mm -hmm. Trek. And the fact that it's going to be a little, like, you're just going to have to go with some things. Mike, like, I I agree with with what you said. The first, like, 10, 15 minutes of the episode had nothing to do with the bulk of the show, right? Like, the distress call was interesting and all. But in truth, the fact that it was from a Kelpian meant nothing to the rest of the show. Um, but they did have one of my favorite moments, and that was the moment between 
um, the Admiral and Saru. And, you know, we've talked about, can Saru be captain? And I've long said, eh, I was struggling with this. What we saw tonight was him have a mentor. And that was interesting because what I realized is we've never really seen that before, right? In, in Star Trek, we mostly get super captains, right? These are the captain badasses who everybody else looks up to. And they ha- they'll have growth and they struggle, but they are typically like the alpha person, the the guy or woman, right? They're, you know, Janeway and, and they're all that. Saru represents something different. And that was kind of intriguing. So I, I re- actually really like that dialogue. And for the first time since the season started, the Admiral had a definable place that I was like, okay, I like how he's fitting into this story. Um, I, I also absolutely love the Mirrorverse. I thought we might see Lorca. I was kind of looking for it. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't know that I was going to enjoy it this much. And the the whole idea of this, I, I, I hadn't even thought about a Q-like character, but this Carl character on this planet, um, that just feels like, like I said, traditional Trek. We're going we're gonna to just throw something out of left field because there's a story we want to tell. Um, and so I just enjoyed this a lot to see the characters kind of move differently. Uh, I thought this was um, a great vehicle for Owo. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, like, very subtly, Owo almost stole the show. If Georgia wasn't such a beast in this episode. <laughs> um, but Owo and the looks and the transition I, I don't know that anyone had a better transition from prime character to Mirrorverse character um, and just rocked it so well. So there's so many things about um, about this episode that I love. And I just want to say the one thing that did not make any sense to me, um, <laughs> this is just one of those things. Why did uh, Burnham and Georgia, why were they the only two that needed to go down to the planet? Uh, <laughs> I, you couldn't take a whole away tea. You couldn't take some security people. I don't know, maybe a tent, to a building or something. Like, I, you, you I know, know Linus like, wanted to go down there. I mean, you know, Linus would have went with her, um, walked through the door right next to her. I got your back, baby. I mostly just uh, wanted to give them some hats and gloves. They looked very ill prepared for that weather. <laughs> I, I mean, that's another point. Like, you don't, you couldn't scan the planet. Like, they should. Oh, what's this? You're surprised. You're surprised by the weather. Really, you're in a starship. You're in maybe the most advanced starship in the universe right. ever. Picking Um, Yeah, I agree with both y'all. I had a really great time with this episode. Um, It very much reminded me like of an original uh, series episode. Um, Giorgio and Kirk's plot lines in the mirror universe in this particular instance are very similar in that they know they need to act a certain way, but are having trouble acting a certain way. But, you know, for Kirk in that particular episode only has to do it until he can leave the mirror verse. What is Giorgio going to do? Can she act like this forever? Or is she going to like have to do this until she magically transforms <laughs> um, all of the Terran Empire? But I thought it yeah. was just like, it was just a really pretty episode. The The production design of that whole um, like uh, 
the silk dancers was great. The costumes looked incredible. Everyone looked so badass in their their mirrorverse uniforms. Um, I also thought we've we've left a few fun little nuggets to take up um, with our prime, you know, timeline people for the rest of the season. You know, we now have identified where this signal is coming from. I think um, Saru's having some interesting feelings about the fact that at the core of the possibility of the burn, something with the Kelpians is happening. Like, I don't think not necessarily that they did it, but something happened to them and now it's related to the burn and they're wrapped up into this plot line. Right. Um, so that was really interesting to me. I also found Adira to be very relatable <laughs> in this episode uh, with, with how much uh, they're being overworked um, and having, you know, uh, trying to, to fit in and to also prove themselves to this crew. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was really fun to watch. Uh, I think I enjoyed it more on my second watch just because then once I knew what was sort of coming, I could look for those extra details and sort of pay attention beyond just trying to absorb what was happening in the moment. Um, and I'll just say Michelle Yeoh and uh, Sonequa Martin-Green just stomped all over this and with such style and you could tell they were having like a lot of fun playing these versions of their characters. Um, and I also just love that straight hair means that you're evil. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I think we're getting an incoming transmission from uh, possibly another person. Oh, oh, is it me? Am I coming it in? It is you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Guys, guess what? <laughs> I just finished that episode. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a hot freak for us? Baron Von Grant has joined like us. Like the hottest of freaks. You just came off of the episode. Yes. That was bonkers. Um, okay. So it is Giorgio having some it's a wonderful life kind of moment where she gets to go into this other mystical, magical realm and, and relive her life's choices. Uh Awesome, I guess. Uh, the beginning of the episode, you know, there's a little bit of build up to kind of get to this wackiness that they're doing here. But this is so out of the box. I guess this is one of those weird one-off things that I, I've seen you guys like point to. I know we watched one with uh, um, Deep Space Nine where Cisco goes um, back in time to the 50s. Um, we, we've seen these episodes where Star Trek can just be kind of magical and weird if mm -hmm. it just kind of, if it wants to. Yep. But I mean, I, I'm totally there with you, Mariah. The sets, the set design in this, the costumes, the um, the lighting, the, the cinematography, all of it was on point. It was phenomenal. There's that one scene where uh, Giorgio gets her, her crown mm -hmm. that's framed with the sun behind it. I was like, so this wonderful. is like an opera. This is <laughs> incredible. Like a crown. Yeah. Also, I, I love the idea that the Mirrorverse is this theater kids like wet dream. Yes. <laughs> We're evil and we love to dance and have fun in the hallway. <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, kind um, of uh, jumping into if you're done, Grant, with your hottest of takes because it just came off of the episode. Yeah. My, my only other thing is I, I really appreciate how it explored um, the mother issues both from Burnham's perspective. I mean, she's getting a lot of motherly advice this season. It seems both from her, 
her biological and her her adopted mother's or surrogate, whatever Miraverse Jojo counts for. Um, and then on the flip side, getting to have um, Giorgio get to kind of relive this life after the experience of what the disco cruise effect is like, it, it all just seems like this, this perfect life lesson of this is how disco, how, how the positivity of Starfleet can make even the most evil emperor change her heart. Yep. That's yeah. been a that's been a major theme throughout this whole season. How how the how aspirational the Federation and Starfleet is, and how that can really change not just one universe, maybe another. So yeah, totally tracks. Hey, I wanted to ask a question. Did we get a reference uh, to the Abrams verse? Yeah. In this episode, I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah apparently, the uh, the previous uh, Federation member who. Bye, Grant. <laughs> I think he was having some minor technical difficulties mm-hmm. with the signal, so he'll be back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the uh, the previous um, uh, Federation crew member who had this time kind of wonky sickness, uh, I believe, came through the Kelvinverse. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So he uh, both jumped through time, but also came f- from the Kelvinverse into the Prime uh, universe, which is right. what caused him to be sick. But that leads me to believe that then is that what Spock eventually died from? Because he mm. was traveling mm. all over the place through space yes. and time. And so, um, you know, I've seen this critique online before, uh, uh, you know, since this episode came out about what about Spock, but I, I wonder if it's because they've jumped so far into the future at this point and like the temporal wars were also so far into the future that perhaps the distance between the universes, as they've said, continues to grow and that's what's amplified it. But yeah. And Spock jumped backwards, didn't he? Wasn't it? It was an older Spock who jumped backwards. I wonder if that was a little bit different, but yeah, it was just the reference of the, was it the Romulan mining ship? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, I know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. And then the uniform was also, mm-hmm. I think, a Calvinverse type uniform. Um, yeah. I uh, it was Nero's ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it is the first time we've gotten confirmation that this timeline knows about the Kelvinverse, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Grant, you're, audio- you're good there? You keep popping in and out. <laughs> do, do you hear me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, you, it sounds like I'm coming in from the wrong microphone. That's all. Yeah. Won't let me switch. Indeed. So yes. People, I won't let you switch. People That's must fine. suffer. I'm I'm trapped in the mirrorverse with their shittier audio. <laughs> shittier audio. Damn it, mirrorverse. Um, I wanted to ask y'all what you thought about Vance's advice to Saru about when Saru asks, you know, or essentially says, like, we need to consider the needs of the many over the needs of the one in this particular instance, which Vance's advice almost reminds me of sort of the like no man left behind sort of motto you get in a lot of military institutions, Mm -hmm. which I always think is an interesting parallel to the idea of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, which does make sense in a lot of cases, but time and time again, Star Trek likes to sort of point out that, oftentimes the right thing to do is to pay attention to even the needs of the one or the few. Yeah. I thought his, his advice to Saru did two great things. It reminded us of that 
ethos, right? Don't leave a crew member behind because that's what the Federation, that's what Starfleet is all about. Every life matters. Somebody on your crew is suffering and you could do something to help them. You do that. Um, and that that is just a, a classic aspirational theme of Star Trek that we've seen in every series, almost every movie as well, especially in those Genesis movies that we forced Grant to watch. <laughs> um, but in uh, it also, the other great thing it did was remind us, like, like Clyde pointed out earlier, that we're getting a great picture of a green captain learning the ropes. Saru is very qualified to be captain, but he's new. And we're getting this great, great story of him really learning the ropes and learning, learning from an admiral like Vance, who's been around forever and is is teaching him the, uh, I guess, the, the, the deeper lessons that you learn, the interpersonal lessons that, that are going to make him a better captain. Um, I hope. Because there's also that lingering, there's also that lingering threat of yeah. did he just want to get them out of the way so they won't fuck up whatever evil thing he's doing in the chain? Is Vance evil? We don't know yet. Yeah, no, I'm not going that route. I, I'm I'm gonna go the the glass half full route and say what I saw here that excited me. Um, like I said earlier, is. I, I've had reservations about Saru as captain, not because I don't think he's qualified or he doesn't have the history. It's just when I think about a Star Trek captain, what I think about is someone who is often bending the rules, right? When you think about a Star Trek captain and you think about the the, epi- the epitome of a Star Trek captain, you're thinking the Pikes, the Kirks, the, the Picards, right? Even the, the Cisco's and the Janeway, they know the rule book inside and out and they break that damn thing every week mm-hmm. right saru all he does is quote the rule book and he follows the rule book and i think what Fucking we're gonna nerd. what we're gonna <laughs> see is we're gonna see him grow into that badass star trek captain right who knows when to follow the rules when to hold up the prime directors and when to you know as kelvin kirk would do is jeopardize it all to save one person. And and that's kind mm-hmm. of exciting. Like I can get behind that type of Saru. Um and the if we get the journey to see what that's like, that is new. That mm-hmm. is something we hadn't we have not gotten to see in the Star Trek franchise before. We get these ready-made rebels. Now we get to see the creation of one. Sign me up. It certainly seems like it's both ways though. I think that they know what the audience chatter is about the Federation, about our questions of whether or not it is pure and idealistic like we, we want it to be in our hearts, or if there's something that has corrupted it in this time jump. And so when you see this action, it, it initially endears you to Vance, but there could be a different way of interpreting it, right? It, it could be that he has an ulterior motive for pulling them away and making doing it under the guise of giving him solid advice. You know, it, it once again pulls us the audience one way and then the other. Like, how do we how do we gauge what this guy is and, and what, what the Federation is? I, I also agree. I like it. It seems like Saru kind of wants a mentor 
he he wants someone to be able to ping ideas off of and and get advice. And I, you know, you see it a little bit with with Tilly. I, I wonder if if he he just needs a he needs someone else he can chat with a lot. Yeah. I think that's also why, you know, like I really liked seeing him have that relationship with the Vulcan president. You know, I think he is trying to listen and learn from all of these different voices. So, uh, you know, I agree. I think Saru is going to go on this interesting journey that we haven't seen before, like you said, Clyde, for most of our captains in Star Trek. And I'm excited to sort of see where he goes. I um, did think, you know, it was interesting the way he sort of brushed off book. Um, because like we've seen how they've sort of embraced Adira as this new crew member. And while Adira is like very obviously very, very smart and they have proven themselves to be capable through like the, the journey they went through, um, you know, on the trill planet and to kind of go through all of this stuff to be able to bring them to the Federation headquarters. So I'm wondering what books, uh, you know, sort of mo- hero moment is going to be for the crew so that Saru can sort of trust him because he's earned the trust of Michael, but has not earned the trust of Saru. I don't think yet. Well, I, well, I, I yeah. think um, kind of the difference is that Adira comes across as Starfleet true and, and true, mm-hmm. right? Like she's, she, she's oh, literally they them now. The, sorry, you're right. You're absolutely right. They, them. And that was, I, I didn't get it to participate in that conversation last week. But they, them have been iteration upon iteration of Starfleet officer. Um, and so Saru looks at them and go, well, they've earned the right for me to trust them. I think he's still struggling with the whole concept of the world is very different and the rules of the world that he's in it are different. And so he looks at Book not only as part of the personification of that, but also someone who is pu- pulls Michael away from the Michael he wants her to be. And I think that's the thing is Saru looks at Michael and goes, you can be all these things that I want you to be. And there are forces that pull Michael away from that. And I think probably for her best interest, but they are Book and Giorgio. And so to me, the fact that those are the two characters that rub Saru the wrong way make a lot of sense for me. I think that's really astute, Clyde, especially what you said about Michael. Um, yeah, if I were Saru, it would be really hard to for me to separate Book's intentions with his relationship with Michael and how he influences her. Although we know as, as viewers, we like book, uh, his information seems credible. He seems like a great asset. So when we see the scene of Saru patronizing a uh, book this way, we're like, what the hell, man, this is a gold mine of information. And this guy's badass. And yeah, Phil R says, I think Saru subconsciously trying to be anti Lorca and all that, definitely is worked into Saru's captaining style. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be a hothead like Lorca. He doesn't want to be a warmonger like Lorca. And he's leaning too closely on, on the books, right. And how things used to go. But I, I also think he is questioning books intentions for sticking around because it's like, are you just doing this for Burnham or do you really want to help? 
uh, you're really inspired by the Federation. So he does need Book to step up and and prove something to him. Although I, I don't think that's the best route Saru could have gone here, but I think that's what's happening. Yeah, I uh, those are all really good points. I um, kind of moving us into the planet now as we follow Burnham and Giorgio uh, dropping in. I kind of liked their little walkabout. It reminded me a lot of the original pilot when they're walking around on the desert together. So we've kind of come full circle for the two of them. And it's also interesting to me. So terra firma, um, it, it means dry land or solid land. And so like both frozen tundras and deserts are considered deserts. So I was like, that's kind of a fun nerdy thing that I'm enjoying right now. Um, but yeah, we, encar- we, we encounter Carl once we find this place. And I kind of, you know, we've, we've started tossing around the idea, is this a cue? But it's also in my mind, is this just like, has the planet figured out there is a small portal here that goes to the mirrorverse and the, the ship is having this little fun game? Like, is the ship doing something here? Are these holograms? Because, like you know, the there's, yeah, because there's, there's nothing coming up being read. So I'm just like, what, what is sort of happening here? Mm-hmm. So the spe- we know the spirit data is magic. Right. So <laughs> this would not be out of the realm for the spear data to conjure up uh, this cue like being and a door in the middle of a blizzard. And then that door leads to a fake mirror you where Jojo can work out her feelings and grow as a character. Sure. Right. Especially because the guy is like old timey, which the ship seems to really like, you know, yeah. the, the, the sphere right. data. Mm-hmm. Like the, silent, the, the old movie and everything. Yeah. yeah. When he's like everything. Newspapers. And, yeah. yeah. Newspaper for real. Trust the newspaper. Everything is in black and white. And then all of the dumb riddles. So I was like, I don't know. This could just be ship fuckery. <laughs> like, <laughs> in, in any Spirit case, what I don't understand is uh, here's what I'm expecting in part two. Right. The minute that we we go back to see Michael, I don't know, there are 15 scientists on the planet trying to figure out what the hell this thing is. Because as Giorgio is filling this out, if I'm Michael, I have I've got this super teched out tricorder that's a hologram in the middle of the of the space. And I'm calling every science geek on that ship to get down here and explore this. But what, is time? what else are you doing? <laughs> you're, like, but- you're just sitting in the ship chilling. <laughs> Right, but what if, like, however long it is in the mirrorverse is just, like, a second on the other side of the door? Then yeah. they will have wasted that awesome point-to-point transporter. <laughs> It'll be fine. If it's Q, what is what what is ultimately the goal? Is it have that Giorgio is a such a pivotal <laughs> figure in both timelines that presenting this opportunity at, at a a do-over of sorts. Typically um, the cue and redirect wait, both timelines. Wait, 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 wait actually wait, influencing wait. another timeline right now. Hold on. Okay. Greg, you, have you seen a cue? Do you, have you any experience? My with exposure to cue is that, uh, is no from when they made them play chess. <laughs> What's going on? Well, that was actually a really good distillation. Of what the cue is for the large part that the cue beings that we've seen, maybe one or two with one or two exceptions, Purely just like to fuck with humans and play with them like rats in a maze. But it, it's not for like a a larger, a, a bigger picture that no. perhaps <laughs> Star Trek, Starfleet can't T- understand at the time. I mean, uh, typically the Q just don't understand how and why humans have achieved and grown so much as a species. So they constantly put them through these trials and games to 
really, I think, understand them and make them prove themselves. Okay, but she clearly jumped back to a point in time in the mirror universe and body replaced herself and is going through a, a process of actions that is, is altering the course of that timeline. It or seems like, yeah, like she, days a future, like she days a future past it. Right. right. So w- what is the ramification there? Or have you guys seen anything equivalent to that in Star Trek? So, uh, Lisa in the comments pointed out that the newspaper is the same as the episode city on the edge of forever, which is from the original series. And it's been a minute since I, like, I can't remember how they came to the portal, but in that particular portal, they went back to like the 1930s. Um, so it could be uh, a, a way to, t- to tie it back. So yeah, maybe we need to do a little rewatch of this to see mm. how it possibly ties into next week. That Carl, Mr. Mixel Picklick, whatever. <laughs> Which would sort of make sense if they're trying to tie it back to that particular episode because it's uh, in the 1930s. He kind of had that bowler hat. Yeah, see? Yeah, kind of vibe. That was, to that was the style, right? Yeah. I don't know how else to describe I'll, I'll him. Just a bunch of bootlegger, prohibition, whatever, gangsters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he, Carl is quite the conundrum and I, and I can see why Burnham is so hesitant to just like jump through this mystery door. But then I 100% am on Giorgio's side and it's just like, listen, if I'm going to die, I'll die. Like at this point, there's, it's either happening here in this snow and it's really painful or whatever happens through the, through this magical door. Let's just see what happens. Um, and I love that quick transition. That was such a good edit. And I thought it looked so great. We also finally get to actually see Mirrorverse uh, Killy and Burnham because we didn't actually see them played by, you know, the these personalities. Um, there always are, are people playing them as pretend, which was very exciting. So whatever is on the other side of this door, this Mirrorverse that she travels to, it at least puts a stop to her episodes that she's having for the time being while she's there. She's not glitching out or having whatever weird fractals on her face thing that was going on. So presumably she has at least transported to another realm. Like it, it can't be, um, oh man, you guys are going to be mad. Uh, What's the what's the imagination station place where they can like manifest anything? A in holodeck. Holodeck. There we go. A holodeck. It's, it, she's clearly not in a holodeck because she'd still be having the glitching yeah. issues, but she must have. Right, gone. which leads me. Well, right. I don't know because it seems like, um, in true discovery fashion, that the cure to her ailment is going to be something more emotional. It's mm-hmm. going to be something like, oh, you need to accept in your heart and mind that you do actually belong in the prime universe and you're not actually, uh, you're not actually meant to be this murderous, you know, uh, em- emperor and to help disco. So once you accept that, the conflict within your mind and body will go away. That's feels yeah. like we're heading. Well, I mean, we do know we eventually need to get her somehow into, I think section 31. So it would be interesting to see if they're trying to sort of backdoor their way into that using this, I think but they scrapped section 31, didn't they? No, it's like in production. It's still is going she, is she on the show. 
I think yeah. so. I mean, yeah, I, I've a vehicle for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Mariah, I want to come back to something that you said a minute ago about seeing Burnham and, and Tilly slash Killy in the mirror verse. You know what's interesting about that is when we originally went to the Mirrorverse, we didn't see Killy. We didn't see actual Tilly. Um, and we know that most of the time it was because, well, Lorca left and Burnham died. I don't know that we really know what happened to, to Killy, the Mirrorverse Killy. And so I think that story arc of what happened, do you trust her, do you not trust her, is going to be really interesting because her character is largely unknown in that you know, space. Yeah. Right. You know, that's the thing about the mirror you. It just seems so backstabby that it's hard to uh, engage with any of the characters' motivations because they always just turn on each other. So it's just, it, it, it doesn't feel very deep. When we ever go to the you know, the mirror you in any Star Trek series except DS9, um, of course, <laughs> it's exhausting in a way because you're always having yeah. to like calculate mm-hmm. everyone's motivations of every single thing they say to you. Because even yeah. like when Owo is standing behind Giorgio after she disarms mm-hmm. Michael, which by the way, that look between her and Michael, I'm convinced is going to launch a thousand fan fictions. It was it's quite sexy, yeah. palpable. Um, but when she disarms her and walks behind her, I was convinced she was just going to like straight up double backstab, like, and that was going to be, you know, or something. And then there'd be a big fight scene. Um, but yeah, because it's it, it's just you can't trust anyone. And I did like to the fight between Oo and um, Reese and uh, Ronnie Reese Reese, Reese um, for the security yeah. officer position. Um, that that whole fight scene apparently during the ready room they did an interview with the with the um, uh, bridge crew and they said at one of the like Las Vegas cons they had talked about how they wanted to fight more and I guess. Michelle Paradise had been in the audience for that and took a note and wrote this big fight scene yep. for them so that they could could have this little moment together. I, I will say I'm not a huge Ready Room watcher, but this episode of the Ready Room was worth sifting through Will Wheaton's whatever will that Wheaton-ness. was. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, will you stop talking about yourself for five minutes? So did they mention that five minutes, man, that it's kind of weird that everybody on the ship in the mirror, you seems to always hang out in the mess hall, having a rave. I mean, they, they, they like to party. It was also a party day. They were, you know, kind of, uh, right. Launching this new ship. So everyone's right. having this like fantastical day. There's this big, um, play, which I, I definitely want to talk about. I thought that whole scene was so cool and you could definitely see Anthony raps like theaterness and theater acting abilities take place. And, and in the ready room, he talked about like, yeah, I was just like standing up there with all of my castmates watching me for this scene. So it was sort of like performing a real play. And it, it reminded me of a sort of like Greco Roman, you know, oration at times, but then also very, I think, uh, inspired by like traditional Asian theater elements. And, and I thought it was just really, really cool. Yeah. I want to go back to um, Carl. Who Carl. 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 Um, Come on, Carl. Who, 
<laughs> Sorry, that's who well, I originally show. when I first came when he when I first saw him on screen, I thought, oh, this guy is EQ. But I'm thinking more and more, especially with um, some of the stuff our commenters who are watching live are saying. I think he's one of the guardians of the portal from City on the Edge of Forever, and I think it's going to be revealed that maybe we're going to see that portal again. That's interesting. Um, yeah. I think that's yeah, more fun than, than Q. Q. Yeah, it's more fun than Q. I like, I like, I, I prefer when Star Trek, uh, he's more on the side of sciencey things than magical sciencey things, just because I think it's more interesting that way. Um, yeah. And since this planet is technically on the outskirts of the Gamma Quadrant, theoretically it could be close to the the Bajoran wormhole as well. Mm. So it could just be mm-hmm. like a hot spot for these wormhole portal places. It's the well, race. And ultimately, Q was an ass. And so <laughs> I, I kind of, I'm hoping he's not a Q. What, <laughs> what is, the, what are these guardians though? <clears throat> Did you guys already discuss this? Yeah, there's an original series episode. One of the most popular episodes ever called City on the Edge of Forever. In which uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy travel back in time, I think to the, to the depression era. Yeah. And they they go- have to like change history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they go through this portal that's on this, this uh, it's very reminiscent of what happens here. It's not a uh, like, like a Hoth world like we saw here, but there is a doorway. There's somebody there guarding it who leads them through. They go to the, through the past and they work things out and they come back. So it's very similar to what we saw here. Well, I, I think there's one of these in almost every of the franchise, right? Didn't, TNG do one that was like um, mm-hmm. uh, Camino uh, Royale or something like that, where they walked through a door. It was a revolving door. And again, they were like in the 20s. So, yeah. Yeah. But, it's a Star Trek thing. But the Guardians, they are protectors of this? We don't, we don't know much about the Guardians. I don't even think they're, a, they're one species. It's just someone who guards the door or the gateway. Uh, and so it is the idea that there is this doorway and Carl came through it to sit there out in the snow? Or is he just kind of like a projection? I wonder. I, I, I feel like this is weird. I, and I, I'm guessing you guys just don't know as well. Right? I, I mean, we don't know for sure. This is all very theoretical, like what it could possibly be. But I almost think of it as, you know, um, uh, oh, like the room of requirement in like Harry Potter as like a, a a way to think about it. So it shows it's you have to know where it is to find it, and then once you're there, it it lets you know it. Oh okay. It gives you what you need to solve your problem, kind of thing. I'm okay. familiar with this this Harry Potter. One. Okay, it's called I, a a story cheat. I, okay, <laughs> I, I just got to say we've got a Harry Potter reference. We've had a. Uh, a, a Walking Dead reference. Uh, Grant, will you just do it already, and we can just keep going? Just it's the Orchid be... Station, Grant. There we I go. I remember a certain portal that uh, brought people back to another place in time. Um, Clyde, we almost course, made it. We, we weren't going to make it. it. There was no chance that that was going to happen. I just <laughs> feel like I'd rip the bandaid off it. now. <laughs> anyway, I don't know what you're talking about, Clyde. <laughs> Not going to do it to you. It's a donkey wheel. Um, what did you guys think of the um, the signal being a transmission from a Kelpian ship that was going to look for more dilithium from 100 years ago? And why do you think Saru seemed to be so personally 
attached to it, but he didn't want to share the info with the Admiral yet, even though this is a huge deal. I mean, I, I understand him maybe one. I think he wants to keep it quiet because he wants to figure out if the Kelpians had something to do with the burn or not. Like hmm. he doesn't want them to be this, the, the, the scapegoat of it all. Yeah. No, and do. then you don't I, think he would, no, he would I think try he to would learn care that he, he would, he would narc on, on his best friend if it violated the code. Even when it looks and sounds a lot like his sister. Yeah, it did look and sound a lot like a sister. I, I wonder if he's maybe growing a little bit suspect of, of the Federation and their motivations too. And so he's he's wanting to kind of check his bases on, on all of these things before he presents any information that might... And it could potentially be misconstrued if he, he doesn't really have a full grasp of the context of that message. I just thought maybe he wanted to, to keep it to himself for a moment. I mean, think about it. He has been alone for a very long time, this image comes up and not only is it someone who looks and sounds like him, it's also a woman. Like that, like I'm thinking, man, that has to go like, I'm not alone. And maybe I just want to hope for a second that there's something left, that there's, that maybe there's a, there's a Kelpian society somewhere before all hopes are dashed forever and I have to deal with reality, maybe I can just take a moment and hope, dare to dream. That was kind of the, the way I looked at it. It was him holding on to something um, that was private for just a moment. Yeah, it could definitely be a bit of that. I do think, I do think the Kelpians are okay, though, in this future timeline. And we've heard that they're part of the Federation, but nobody can just get to them because there's no dilithium of course and disco doesn't have a reason to go there so yeah he's been cut off from his people for sure i mean maybe he's planning on trying to figure this out before talking to vance so that he can pull a little bit of a burnham and go jump and see what's going on with this ship you know because mm-hmm. that that pull to you know his own kind is so strong that he wants to try to be the hero in this moment so are you guys feeling like are you buying that Giorgio is going through this emotional transition away from the the murderous planet killing emperor that that she was to being more like the Giorgio that we met in the uh, in the pilot of Discovery because that seems to be what they want us to feel. I think absolutely. She- oh no, no, no. no, no, no. I- I, I think she's surprised at how much she has changed. Yes. And the that works for me. Yeah. And and you know, she didn't realize that she has changed at all. She thought she stayed pretty much the same. And I think all of these gut reactions she's now having to all of these moments is really uh surprising her. At least that's how I read Michelle Yeo's performance throughout all of this. Well, I I'd agree with that. And Mike, I think I think you may have said it. I don't I don't think Mariah, you may have said it as well. But it's this idea that she belongs in this prime universe. I mean, she even said, "When you know, in my universe, we were the prime." Well, I, I, there's just something about that that tells me she's had to go back. She's had to see, to your point, Mariah, how she fits in this old way to see that she fits here. You know, it's a lot like if you've ever moved away from home. 
or you've moved away from some city that you've you've always loved. When when I moved to New York, I couldn't stop talking about how great Austin was. And then I came back and was like, huh, I don't quite fit here the way I did when I left. And I think that's what she's seeing. Is she's seeing that she because she's always talking about how great Terran society was and how none of you would would have made it and this is how we do it. Well, now she's getting a chance to see how she fits back there and it doesn't feel the same. Um, and so I think it's going to help her realize that she belongs in the place where she's found herself now. And then to Mike's point, that emotional transition is going to heal her. There's a good comment here that kind of backs that up from Lamo. Pod, yes, I think Giorgio is definitely going through a transformation. She was in a universe where it was safe to be a multidimensional human being, being the prime universe. And that's true. Oh, she spends a lot of the second season lashing out, being cruel to people and having them not push her away or not try to kill her. And this is a completely different environment. Probably, you know, growing up in as toxic an environment as the Mirrorverse was for her and then having people who love her, accept her, like try and support her. She's risked her life to save their lives at this point. And that can't help but endear you to people because there is still human nature. It's, you know, you, you take a, you take a, a dog that's been trained to, to do cage matches to fight all its life and take it finally away from that environment and show it, it love and respect. And you see how quickly those animals can change and, and just desperately want that kind of affection. And I think it's the same with, with her, same with people. Did you just call Giorgio an animal? Did you say no? Just a party animal, man. No, well, I, I gotta say, animal. I don't want her to change so much because she brings a killer instinct to the show that they don't have. Right? We saw in the episode when they were in the saloon, like you don't get out of that without Giorgio being Giorgio. Yeah, right? I think she's still gonna have her survival instinct, but I, I don't think she's going to. I think she's going to lean a little bit more on being able to trust the other people of the discovery crew rather than thinking everyone's out to get her all the time. She's going to recognize that maybe other people do genuinely care about her and her well-being. And then Rogers has a great, out. has a great comment here as well. He says, I think George Joe is also grappling with the knowledge of the empire's early downfall compared to the Federation. So, yeah, she's going through a lot of shit, and she's realizing that her empire is gone, and she is where she is, so she has to adapt. Yeah, I think she, you know, at that, uh, when she goes to, you know, she swings the sword at Michael and says, from this point on, the timeline is completely different, right? I'm not going to kill you. So what are we going to do now? Um and I think it's her realizing that if her universe, her original universe is going to survive at all, like you were, you were saying, it's like th- they have to move forward in a different way um, or else they are going to eventually just go extinct because they're just constantly killing each other. So how can she be the catalyst for some sort of change? Whether or not it works out for her, I think in the end, I think she's willing to sacrifice herself in order to possibly change the timeline of her original universe. Or, yeah. 
Do you think that the uh, this story's endgame is going to be her universe rejecting her and rejecting that to where she has to she realizes she does belong in the prime universe now? I I think that's where we're going. I don't think she's going to save the mirror you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she might be trying to just like put some things in place to see if it changes anything going forward and then perhaps has to travel back to the prime timeline, but reverse in time and go back perhaps to work. What? <laughs> the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so she's, she leaves the mirror verse, but she goes back to the, like the prime timeline. At prime, that point in time. Yeah, exactly. Like the yeah, point when she originally left. Go back in the future to another right. timeline. Right. So Mariah, you're saying that this is her exit. I think this is her exit off of disco. Yeah. Oh, man. I was just thinking, what a treat it's been to have Michelle Yeoh on this show. And how disappointed I was when we lost her in, like, the first episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, because I remember, you know, it feels like it was such a long time ago, but we were all reading everything that we could before the show started. And Michelle Yeoh being on the show was such a huge draw. And then we lost her so early to have her back. I literally was, as I was watching, I was thinking, she's amazing. I'm so glad she's on the show. And you're telling me that now that I'm extremely happy about that, this is a swan song. Like, Yeah, well, I think it's because we've sort of seen she doesn't have much to do in this future right now. And so if all of, if they've applied these rules where she literally cannot exist in the future, the only way for her to continue to the to exist is to go back into the past. But who's our badass? We lo- we lost Nan. Now if we lose Giorgio, everybody else is soft. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> Owo, obviously. <laughs> I mean, but no, this Owo is soft. Um, Mirror Michael Universe. Michael Burnham whoops someone's ass every single episode. <laughs> yeah, but she, she's not going to go for the throat, though. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's a, a slightly changed Burnham. She spent that time away. She's a little bit more of a rule breaker. We also have Book, who sort of are, are more street savvy, you know, Burnham sort of character stoned. now. On that one planet, and then saw people die, and now she's just got bloodlust. Yeah, but Book is like a cosmic zoo- zoologist. Like <laughs> these guys, I hear what you're saying, but both of them are like, they're like, you know, they're pretty soft. <laughs> like they're like they're they're just pretty soft. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're gonna meet like a Kelpian who's like a, a triple black belt uh, when we get to this other ship, you know, and will be our our new savvy uh, kick ass. I'll take Wonder it. Let's run, let's run through a few more comments, if that's cool with everyone. Yeah, let's do it. You don't have access to the comments, do you, Mariah, to put them on I the screen? I don't have control of okay, that. Okay, that's no. why, yeah, okay, I got it. Uh, Chris Rogers says, I feel like part of the reason, apart from being green, that Saru is so committed to the rules is that he lost his greatest mentor, Prime Giorgio, mm-hmm. as a result of not doing so. Yeah, that definitely plays into the mix and influences his command style for sure. I would agree. I like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, the oh, I was going to point uh, Lamo's uh, comment about um, Lamo says, and that's why I doubt she's really in the doubting that she's actually in the mirror verse. Oh, right here uh, is this one. <laughs> no, nope, you had part? the right one, and then oh, you changed one. it. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 
the Guardian's final words in the uh, original series episode is many such journeys are possible. Let me be your gateway. So maybe this is a completely different dimension completely. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like an homage to. Mm -hmm. This is a disposable mirror universe yeah. where it can just be a sandbox for Georgia to play in. But, uh, but it's a this, universe. But Carl yeah. did say before Georgia walked through, while your bracelet might remain green, saying that you know your your molecules are all safe, you can still die in this universe. That there are a bunch of other ways to die. Yes. Yep. Which which <laughs> makes me immediately every time she turned her back at someone and that's the other thing you're, you're in the terran universe you should never let anyone stand behind you like, ever. like maybe her epic cape is like like knife proof or something <laughs> so i it, now you're making me think mariah that she dies but that death is a rebirth into the prime universe i mean maybe is it possible that we get her splitting off into two different dimensions? Maybe she's alive both in the past and in the future. And Michelle Yeoh's just got a lot of work to do on two different Star Trek shows. <laughs> Could I happen. Mean, she's totally capable. <laughs> Not as far-fetched as Phil's, Phil R's comment. What if it is a Q, but a mirror, a mirrorverse Q? Why? Wow. Like purely like altruistic? Good. Yeah. <laughs> that would that be would weird. Be cool. Yeah. Like be a cool. Q who really cares about people and, and yeah. is all about order instead of chaos. That would yeah, be yeah, wild. Yeah. Oh, I did want to ask y'all, are you as upset as I am that we did not see Lorca at all this episode yes, yes. and that we better I mean, get a Lorca next episode? I don't even like, like Lorca, and yes. Right. At first I was like happy that he was being mentioned, but then I was like, where is he? Where is right, he? Right, Carolyn, where? I want to see Mirror Lorca. I want to see it. Oh man, if this is a way to bring back Mirror Lorca and have oh, yeah. him and Giorgio go back to the other timeline and start section 31 together. Ooh. Or gonna be if mad. this is truly Giorgio's exit and we do need that that kind of roguish character, maybe Mirror Lorca comes back and takes the place. Ooh. There you go. Saru would be so mad if Saru would be so mad if Burnham went down with Giorgio and came <laughs> back with Lorca. <laughs> She's gonna come back with Ash Tyler. Oh man. <laughs> and we're gonna be mad. <laughs> She's gonna come back with Ash Tyler and Voke and Lorca. I mean, you might as well throw Takuvma in there and we'll just have a whole merry-go-round of the pilot. <laughs> yeah, Phil R. in our cap set, said about Lorca, they said his name too many times not to show him. We do have a part two coming up. It's a part two. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping, I mean, if this is a send-off, a, a two-parter send-off, I think, is what this character deserves and would, to me, justify spending two episodes in the Mirror Universe before we continue on with our like main plot for me. Yeah. So. Right. And that'll be right before we have our wacky hollow deck Christmas episode that they're going to give us. It's going to be great. <laughs> that's no idea. That would be pretty wild. Are you looking um, up what the name of it is? Oh, our, our next episode. It's, it's called hollow deck, the halls or some shit. Well, that after the next week's right. 
Clyde, you'd like that. Don't even roll your no. eyes. <laughs> I was no. literally like, what is he talking about? I see the Citadel, the good of the people. And I was like, oh, it's a joke. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. made a joke. <laughs> I do that from time to time here. What? Yeah. Bye. See you guys. I would, I would absolutely hate a holiday Christmas episode. I mean, if it's as good as like the Star Wars Christmas stuff. Oh, the Lego then I one? The Lego one was all right, but no, I'm talking about the original. Like, the bar is here. You're not talking about that Ewoks movie, <laughs> are you? Please don't tell me you're talking about that stupid Ewoks no, the, movie. No, the original Star Wars holiday special is like yeah. painful. Yes. But I do recommend the Lego one. Super fun. Yeah. I mean, Clyde, remember how good the holodeck episode was in Lower Decks, though. With, with uh, Badgie. Badgie, oh, yes. Oh, man. If we could get a Lower Decks Christmas special, I would not be upset about it. Now, see, Lower Decks makes perfect sense for a Christmas special. And while we are talking about this, if people have anything else they want to add, feel free to to capital P-O-D in the comments (laughs) while we're talking about Christmas specials. (laughs) I mean, Badgie was just so much fun. Um, Here's the thing, Grant. See, you don't have the PTSD from all those TNG holodeck episodes that just made you want to cringe. Um, I mean, are you listen, forgetting all the Voyager holodeck episodes? Those are bad too. I, I mean, <laughs> those are worse. Or the or the, the the ones in the movie, like in the the movies where you got this holodeck of a boat. Um, just <laughs> it's just. Oh, oh, I mean, they're some are interesting, but they always kind of just go a little bit left. Like I'm a big fan of of Barkley, but. Good heavens, his episodes were always holodeck driven. <laughs> yeah, Phil R agrees. Yes, so many bad holodeck episodes. But I still have an affinity for them. They're fun. No, oh, okay. So I will say this. The one that is absolutely to me the best episode ever is Minuet. That was the best holodeck episode. What happens in that one? That's the one where Riker basically falls in love with a oh, holo- of a Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, represents yeah. a whole bunch of other stuff. But yes, that was yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right, folks. Anything else? I'm looking forward to part two. Um, and I really want to see Lorca, but I don't have my hopes up. I think it would be a really fun surprise yeah. for us to see him next week. Um, but thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast this re- week. Remember, you can find us live on YouTube Uh, every Thursday talking Trek. Um, We are going to be switching up our dates a little bit for the holidays towards the end of the month. So keep an eye on our social media channels and on the Slack. So you can find out when you can tune into our live streams. We still will be live, but we probably won't be live on Thursdays for the holiday season. Um, Mike, can you remind folks about how else they can support the pod? Yeah. Visit us at Star Trek pod.co subscribe to the audio podcast and watch us every Thursday on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, or Twitter. Also patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. That's where you can really start the pod. Um, first tier is a, a dollar an episode, two bucks an episode gets you into our private Slack community. You can join tons of Star Trek fans talking Trek all the time, including us. And um, we have some great Trek fans in there who host um, Trek watch parties, watching old Trek, watching new Trek. Uh, it's a good it's time. Awesome. It's yeah, a great speaking time. Speaking of uh, holodeck mm-hmm. episodes, we just watched Take Me Out to the Holosuite. 
right. uh, as a watch long. Mm-hmm. So start uh, patreon.com slash Star Trek pod. And remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Star Trek pod. You can tweet about the episode. Uh, let people know that you're watching. And as always, we want to give a shout out to two people who help us so much. James Worm, who runs our Insta and Karen, who runs our Twitter. Thank y'all so much. Mike, where can people follow you on the socials? I'm on Twitter and Insta at Mike Moody Garcia. Clyde? You can follow me on Twitter. Bam! At Clyde Haynes. You can follow me on the web at www.keyandclyde.com. That's K-E-I and Clyde.com. Grant. You can follow me at Bam. Oh, Baron Von Grant. At Baron Von Grant. You point up. I, I really messed up. <laughs> uh, and you can follow me on all socials. I'm at Mariah Gossett. That's Mariah with a Y and a Gossett with two S's and two T's. Thank you all so much. We appreciate you. Uh, live long and prosper. Bye. Long live Jojo. <laughs> <laughs>